الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ما يلفظ من قول الا لديه لقيم اديد سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم First we want to make few announcement for the women that inshallah today is the second part part 2 of the talks on controlling the tongue then on tuesday tomorrow inshallah we will have a special program for the women on how to be a better mother and on wednesday and thursday there will be a special two part series on haya and controlling haya and our modesty and purity and chastity in front of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thursday inshallah will also be the last and final ladies program so we will make special dua on that day so you should especially try to encourage all the women that in your friends and family inshallah to come on thursday and try to encourage everyone to come for the part 1 on wednesday inshallah so yesterday uh, day before yesterday we were talking about controlling the tongue controlling the tongue just to review we had mentioned that number 1 nabi akram sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that a true muslim is that one from whom other muslims are safe and protected from their tongue and their hands safe and protected from their tongue and their hands and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in quran that why do you say that which you do not practice why do you say that which you do not practice then we mentioned in the start the power of words so we should understand that speech is powerful because just by uttering speech kalama we accept iman just by uttering a word we enter nikah just by entering a word the law can take place so our speech is powerful then we spoke about how we must make sure that we are not careless over our tongue that we should never scoff or reprimand or look down on other people because allah taala says in quran asa an yakuna khairan minhum in fact they people you are reprimanding and scoffing may be better than you then we mentioned some ahadith on backbiting on lying on slander exaggeration then about those who safeguard their tongues yani that which lies between their jaws so these were some and then the benefit of silence and speaking less and that protects a person from the slip of the tongue because all of our words are being recorded and allah tells us in the quran that no single word is uttered by anyone other than there is a chair near them ready to record their words then we mentioned that the tongue speaks what the heart holds if you remember we quoted a saying from the sheikh that your heart is like the dish and the tongue is like the spoon and the spoon can only dish out what is in the dish so when the tongue says anything things sinful evil false incorrect it means there's something that is sinful and evil and false in our heart therefore we mentioned that one should be careful then and careful how if you sit in front of a scholar be careful of how you, what you say if you sit 
with a wali of Allah Ta'ala, you should be careful of the feelings of your heart. And the very last thing I think I managed to do things was that number one, a long tongue shortens the life. What does it mean? That the misuse of the tongue and excess speech, especially rather sinful speech, leads to such sorrows and pain in life that it removes the barakah of life. The scar left by a sword is on the body, but the scar left by the tongue on the heart. Many people, they have many sayings about this. So they say, like the English proverb, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, words really hurt me. Or the wound of a sword can get healed, but the wound given by the tongue takes a longer time to heal. The relationships can be cut by can never be cut by swords, but they can be cut by the scissors of your tongue. So, so many sayings like that to teach us that to prove that teach us and prove that the misuse of the tongue is even more than the misuse of the hand, and that's why the Prophet said first, min lisani wal yadi, that they should be safeguarded from the tongue and then the hand. Now, beginning new from today. Next point is that one should listen more and talk less. Listen more and talk less. Listen more and talk less. And we'd mentioned the first part of this, that Allah Ta'ala has given us two ears and one tongue. So that is clear that Allah Ta'ala wants us to listen twice as much as we speak. That we need to listen from all sides. We need to listen to everything. But we don't need to say everything. We just need to sing in one direction. So one direction means tongue has only one direction. The tongue cannot exit and go right. It cannot exit and go left. It can't even take any angle. So you must speak like unidirectional. So it means that you must speak to the point. You must be brief. Your speech must have purpose. And your speech should not divert from that purpose. It should not go astray from that purpose. Whereas ears, Allah Ta'ala made us in both sides. So that gives us almost 360 range. 360 range of hearing. So not just double then. Allah Ta'ala wants us to hear 360 degrees range. And Allah Ta'ala wants us to speak only one degree range. Obviously there are many sins also that a person can listen to, but because there's so much khair to listen to, Qur'an al-Kareem, Adhan, Nasiha, Dhikr, Dua, Salawat, so much khair to listen to. So Allah Ta'ala wants us to have greater ability to listen. But our speech is too dangerous. Speech is too dangerous. Next point is that one should always remember that truth always finds its way through. Sometimes people think that if I tell a lie, I have to tell a lie. I was in this situation, they'll even say it was better to tell a lie. Now yes, Sharia has accepted that for restricted things. Number one, Nabi Akareem sallallahu alayhi wa said, it's permissible to lie in a state of hostile warfare to your enemy if lying to them secures your defense against them. You cannot lie to them in the covenant of peace. So it's not like open lying. You cannot lie to them when you make the peace treaty with them. No lie can occur then. This is important because some people think you can openly may say any lie to an enemy. No. Only that lie may be told to only that enemy in only that case in which lying will protect you from their treachery and hostility and lying will secure your defense against them. Second case 
is that Sharia has allowed lying in order to mend the hearts of the husband and wife. Mend the hearts of the husband and wife. So what happens? There's a process in Sharia that the husband and wife should first try to reconcile things with each other. Maybe they may separate the beds for some period. Then there comes a point that if they're not able to reconcile with each other, it is better that they go through what in fancy terms they call third-party arbitration. They should go for sulah. They should see if there's somebody else who can bring patch up their hearts. So in that process, that person is allowed to lie. And that person, but what does it mean? Again, they can only lie if they truly, genuinely feel that their objective cannot be attained by speaking a truth. They can only lie to the extent and limit that is absolutely necessary. So I'll give you an example that we gave you last year also, if you remember. So let's say there's a person who has a sister and uh, <coughs> he is looking for someone to marry his sister. So what does he find? He thinks that actually none other than my own brother, uh, none other than my friend, my best friend in Darululum is the best person to marry my sister. So he approaches his friend, he says, I have sister. He tells sister, I have friend. Friend accepts sister, sister accepts friend. They get married. Okay, but at some point in the marriage, unfortunate misunderstanding takes place and both of them are absolutely upset with each other. Irreconcilable differences. So they both turn. So the sister, she calls her brother and said, look, he's your friend. You told me to marry him. I'm your sister. Shouldn't you care about me? Why did you give me away so quickly to this friend of yours? Allah Akbar. Then his friend turns to him and says, you're my friend. You told me you want me to marry your sister because you're such a good friend of mine. I say, I'll come marry your sister. How come you can't keep her under control? Allah Akbar. So now he's thrust in situation. So let's say friend's name, husband's name is Abdullah and wife's name was Fatima. So what does he do? How does he make salah using a lie as an example? So he hears both of them out. Then he goes to round two. So he goes to Fatima and he says that, Oh, my beloved sister Fatima, you know my friend Abdullah, I went to see him and he's so sorry. Oh, he loves you so much. He's missing you so much. He says you took such good care of him. He realized he was wrong. Actually, the truth is, when he went to his friend Abdullah, he said nothing of the kind. He said that your sister is wrong. I can't take it anymore. What have you gotten me stuck into? It's your fault. But he goes and tells Fatima this sweet talk. So when he tells his sister this, she says, really? Abdullah said that about me? Tell me more. What else did he say? What else did he say he liked? So he makes up more. Oh, he was saying he loves your cooking and he says he loves the way you look at him and he says he's been so sad and missing you ever since it. You've been, he's been gone. So she says, okay, tell him I want to make up with him. Okay, now he goes to Abdullah, right? Now let's say he had gone to Abdullah first. Other option. He goes to Abdullah and says, you know, I just spoke to my sister and Fatima saying she feels really, really bad and really sorry and she just doesn't know if she can make it up to you and that's why she hasn't been responding to your messages. Huh? She doesn't know how she can make it up to you. That's why she hasn't been responding to your messages. And she's missing you ever since you left and she really wants you to come back. And she says that, you know, when you're at home, she feels so much sukoon. So Abdullah says, really? She said that? Tell me, what else did she say? And oh, she says that she misses your shoulder and this and that. Allah Akbar. 
Hmm? Where actually when he went to his sister, she said nothing of the kind. She said, I'm so glad your friend finally left. Good riddance to him. I never want to see him again. You go take him and go find him a roommate from one of your other friend's sisters. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? So this is an example. It's an example. So two cases that are mentioned of lying. Third is, you can lie to save your life. You could tell a lie to save your life. Right? So let's say the enemy is searching for you and you tell somebody to hide you. So you tell them, tell them I'm, I've left the city. Tell them you haven't seen me. Right? So this is a third example of a lie. Other than this, and there may be one or two other very rare extreme circumstances that the ulama have clearly allowed to extremely limited sense to tell a lie. Other than that, you have to understand that every single lie is haram. Now, what was I saying? Because people sometimes try to use an excuse that you don't understand, I had to lie. I had no choice but to lie. It was the right thing to do. No. Other than those situations we mentioned, this is wrong. Sometimes it will happen, no doubt, that if you tell the truth, you might get stuck apparently outwardly in this world. But always remember that truth has barakah in it. Truth has barakah in it. For example, if a person is not performing well at work, and there's a reason behind that. So they could lie and cover up. If they lie, there will be no barakah in that. And eventually that lie will catch up with them, and they're even in danger, maybe they'll get fired. But if they go and tell the truth, yes, initially it would be embarrassing. It might even be revealing, it might even be humiliating. They may have to lower themselves in front of that employer, but the truth will win through in the end. Must always remember that truth has the power of Allah Ta'ala's rada. He's radi. He's happy when we say the truth. His, happiness with, with, uh, his happiness with us when we speak truly is what will make, what will entice His special mercy on us in that situation. And if we speak a lie at that moment due to our own strategy, what would you rather have? Your own strategy or Allah Ta'ala's being happy with you and Allah Ta'ala's help for you? So that is actually the best strategy. Best strategy in any difficulty is to do what will make Allah Ta'ala more happy with you at that time, will make Allah Ta'ala so happy with you at that time that Allah Ta'ala Himself plans and gets you out of that difficulty. That's the best strategy to adopt. Worst strategy is you leave what makes Allah Ta'ala happy and even worse, you disobey Allah Ta'ala so that you can pursue your own strategic maneuver to get out of that difficulty. Oh, Allah Ta'ala will make you sink further in that difficulty. That difficulty will now coil itself around you like a snake coils itself around your neck and that difficulty will never let go of you. So we should never think like that. Lying will always catch up with you. Lying will always lead to a person's downfall. So again, some preventive measures. Number one is silence. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that a man is hidden under his tongue. What does it mean? That until a person talks, his personality isn't revealed. You don't know. He might be very intelligent, very wise, very mature. He might be very foolish. He might be very humble. He might be very arrogant. Hmm? You will never be able to tell. But the person who talks, he is revealed. The speech of a person reveals the personality in them. The speech in the person reveals the heart in them. The speech in the person reveals a character in them. Now obviously if they have a good heart and good character and good personality, so then the speech will reveal that. And if they have bad heart or bad character or bad personality, their speech will betray them. Their speech will let it out. 
Hmm? And one of the aspects of wisdom in itself is to think before you speak. This is even common English adage and idioms. Think before you speak. Reflect before you speak. Though our Mashaikh also used to train us like this. Why? Because sometimes if you don't think before you speak, you might say something and have regrets later. You might say something in the spur of the moment spontaneously, but you might have regrets later. You might even just have this regret that if I had had more premeditated speech, if I had more deliberate speech, if I had had more thoughtful speech, maybe I could have said the same thing in an even better way. So I didn't say it in a wrong or incorrect way, but I lost out on the chance to say it in an even better way. I lost out on that adab. And again, adab is qurb. So I lost out on the chance to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why Mashaik train us. Because again, the path of the soul is to do anything and everything that can bring you the qurb of Allah ta'ala as long as it does not disturb any of the other values of sharia. That's the second thing, right? That's why Allah rahbaniyyati fil Islam because one of the values of sharia is to be engaged and do khidmah and down society. So the second part is very important. So the second part and the first part, this is combined effort between awliya and ulama. What disturbs the rest of the values of sharia? So you need an alim of wusa to understand that. And what is pleasing? What are the fine things that are even slightly pleasing to Allah Ta'ala? You need a wali of Allah Ta'ala to understand that. Allahu hmm? Akbar. This is the rabt between awliya and ulama. This is the rabt between walayat and ilm. These two combine to create a firasat that brings about the hidayah of insan. That brings about the hidayah of the mu'minin. So here so our Mashaik would say that you should think before you speak. What should you think about? Think what are you going to say? Think this is also important to understand. What words will you use to say it? What tone and tenor will be of your expression? What is your intention behind saying it? Even if all these things are okay, is there a chance your words might be misreceived? Is it a chance that they might be misunderstood? Is it a chance that there will be consequences, repercussions that are not desirable? Even though you may speak the truth in a true manner, in a true tone, with a true intention, but will the consequences always be true? Now obviously to some extent only Allah Ta'ala knows, right? You cannot predict the consequences. So here again, the awliya and ulama, you need both of their input to understand. So there's some things like nahi anul munkar that we don't look at the consequences, we don't look at repercussions only. Sometimes just to establish haq, you have to speak, even if that might not be well received. But that sentence that I just said, sometimes that's abused. So every time a person speaks frank and forthright, they say, I was establishing haq. I don't care if, what people think. I don't care if people blame me. I don't care if people understand. No, it can't be extreme. That cannot be a way of life. That cannot be a standard way of speech. Every talk can't be like that. Yes, every now and then there may be occasional sentence. And even that has to be said with great care. And even then a person should be scared. And even then a person should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A perfect example I can tell you from the method of our Mashaikh. So one of the method of terbiyat of Mashaikh, which is a very intense method of terbiyah, like we told you about ragra, is to scold and reprimand the murid. And our Mashaikh explained in Urdu that this is a test that the murid goes through. It's called in Urdu, usko bila wajadantna. It means to scold and reprimand a murid without any basis, without any apparent basis and justification. To see how they react on that anger. Is there still nafs inside them? 
Is there stuff, nafs inside them? I remember when I shake, he trained us in this, he said that when you scold and reprimand Umarid, you put him to this test of the scolding and reprimanding without apparent basis, you have to see. You have to see, and if he pulls away, he withdraws, it means he's a fasik. If he pulls away and withdraws, it means he's a fasik. And the true Umarid will just carry on as if nothing happened. He will keep smiling, he will keep the same connection, keep the same closeness. In fact, it's known in our tradition of the Sawuf, Marids would tell their Shaykh, that Shaykh, I am worthy of your anger. In fact, I've been wondering all this time, why you've been so soft, loving, caring to me, where I brought such a big dirty nafs to you, I was waiting for this slap on the wrist. I am worthy of more of such slaps on the wrist. I'm speaking figuratively, right? Verbal slaps on the wrist. So this is also our adab towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also our adab towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does it mean? So sometimes Allah ta'ala sends a difficulty on a person for no reason. It means it's not That difficulty, test, trial is not coming from their sins. Therefore what happens? But that person out of their humility, adab, should think that's the case. So they start making istighfar, they start making salat toba, they give sadaqah, but the difficulty doesn't go away at all. The difficulty doesn't go away at all. The test continues. Sometimes the trial, tribulation deepens. So our Mashaikh explained this is a sign that this is that test that has come from Allah Ta'ala, not as a punishment from our sin, just as a trial of our love. Allah Akbar, as a trial of our love. So in that case then what does the abd, the servant do? So then they go into sajda. They start crying to Allah Ta'ala. They start praising Allah Ta'ala. Like when Nabi Yukhazim came out of Taif, the dua he made is the perfect example of that. He said, Ya Allah, I care nothing about this difficulty. I care nothing about this worry. All that I care is you be pleased with me. Ya Rabbi, if you are happy with me, then I can be in any state whatsoever. And if you are not happy with me, Ya Rabbi, there's no happiness or no success in my dawah can console my heart if you're not happy with me. So this is what we learned from Mashaikh. They deeply understood the sunnah feelings of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa They understood the sunnah relationship between his heart and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they understood that in Quran, when Allah ta'ala revealed different things, how Allah ta'ala was doing tazkiyah and tarbiyah. Yes, Allah ta'ala did tazkiyah and tarbiyah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh, there's so many examples. There's so many examples like that. So the Mashaikh, they understood that and they took those usul of tarbiyah and tazkiyah. Then from the hadith, the way Nabiya Kareem Sassam did tarbiyah and tazkiyah of sahaba, they took these two usul, Allah Ta'ala's tarbiyah and tazkiyah of anbiya in Quran and Nabiya Kareem Sassam's tazkiyah of sahaba and hadith and they took that and they derived principles and methods from that and on that basis they did tarbiyah and tazkiyah of their students muridin. Allah Akbar Kabira. But then what happens is the shaykh in this case, what is he supposed to do? At night he's supposed to make special dua for that murid who he put through that test. Because his heart's wish is that the murid should pass that test. Not that it's some vengeful thing, he wants him to fail that test. So they get the test, like very famous, you know, Kaab, Sayyidina Kaab, and then Nabiya Qasim put him through a test. One sahabi, he... Abu Lubaba, he wrapped himself in a tree. Oh, there's so many. Inshallah, maybe next year this can be some bayan on this topic. The andaz tarbiyah, the ways that Allah Ta'ala did tazkiyah and tarbiyah of Anbiya and Quran, and the ways that Nabi Kareem Wasallam did tazkiyah and tarbiyah of Sahaba, as we learned from Sirah and Hadith. So many stories. And yes, sometimes it's through test. Sometimes it was through silence of us and speak to that person. Allah Akbar. Nabi Yukram would speak to that person. Hmm? Then the way 
And then and the second topic would be the way those Sahaba got their toba. Look at Sayyidina Abu Lubaba, wrapping himself around the tree. Look at Sayyidina Aisha, when he said Aisha, when she was falsely excused, she also had her ghera. She says, look, I will also go into reclusion. I will not speak, Ya Allah, until you clear me. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? What does that mean? I won't try to defend myself. Ya Rabbi, you will defend me. But it was a difficult time for her. And it was a difficult time for Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So these are things also that happen. This is part and parcel of the process of tarbiyah, tazkiyah, tasawwuf, suluk. Here, so I was giving you an example then from our own. And it was important to give you a sort of like we say, behind the scenes look at this great history and tradition and great depth and wisdom of the methods of tarbiyah of our mashayikh. <coughs> then sometimes there are some women who make some wonderful decisions. She makes some wonderful decisions. So what does that mean? So now we want to talk about the the positive example. What is that? That think before you speak and try to find the right time to say what you want to say. So a golden example of this for women is when talking to your husband. Especially when you want your husband to do something extra for you. You want something extra, maybe some extra purchase or some extra outing or some extra favor or an extra visit to your parents. Something extra. Now at that, these trainings will help you a lot. Here you're looking for the right time to speak and to speak in the right way. Hmm? To speak in the right time, to speak in the right way. Like our Mashaikh mentioned that when the Fir'aun and his wife, Bibi Asya, Anha, they came upon baby Musa. So the wife, she explained to him in such a nice way and with such a nice tone that that same man who was so hard-hearted that he had slaughtered thousands and commanded the slaughter of unknown thousands of baby boys up to this point of Bani Israel and any rational person would understand that how in the world can you find a baby boy floating on a makeshift raft it must be some mother of Bani Israel who's trying to save her baby boy from my command to be slaughtered so he had such a hard heart but she spoke to him in the right way in the right tone in the right manner she could even convince her own to keep that child hmm so this is proof in Quran that a wife can convince a husband even if that husband be Fir'aun. Huh? So none of your husbands can match Fir'aun. Huh? Right? So this is proof in Quran. It means that Allah has given the woman this ability. Now, this ability, some women use it for sin. So in English they call it the guile of a woman's speech. It means, guile means her particular, her deliberate use of making her speech alluring and attractive and soft for the purposes of sin. But Allah has given you this ability. Same ability can be used for khair. Same ability can be used for dawah. Same ability can be used for nasiha. Same ability can be used to do tribi of your children. Same ability can be used to gently, softly wake your husband up for fajr. So you have to use that ability which a woman has to be alluring and soft and attractive and have guile but in a positive way in her voice. And use it to help to help the cause of deen and the purposes of deen and the wishes of deen and those who are near to you and dear to you. <clears throat> so once our Hazri, he told us a story of a woman from his area and it was basically, she was the wife of one of the richest people in her area and there was a main road 
that was the main road of the town used to pass by from where she used to live. Now what happened was the buses would only go on that main road to go to the big city. And sometimes the people in the, in the way it's structured in the rural area of Punjab is you have a lot of small settlements and they will be all expanding deep inside. And so if somebody wants to catch the bus to the city, so sometimes they have to walk half a mile, one mile, two miles, three miles, four miles from their settlement to reach the main road. And she observed something that sometimes passengers would come and they would miss the bus. And that bus sometimes wouldn't come for many, many hours. Sometimes they would arrive at night and they missed the last bus. Now they would be stuck because it wouldn't be no longer safe to walk back those five, ten miles. Sometimes there were women and children with them. So she happened to observe this because her own home was also on that main road next to that main bus stop. So what she had an idea. She had an idea that why should we, since Allah Ta'ala has blessed my husband and me with so much wealth, why shouldn't we build a small little like motel, a small little guest house rest station for travelers. So when they miss the transport, they can stay overnight. Or if they have to miss at morning one, they have a few hours to wait. They have a place to sit, a place to wait, a place to rest. The women with children, babies, they could be facilitated. So like that. So then what happened was she now wanted to convince her husband. So what did she do? She searched for the right time, the right moment, the right words to soften the husband's heart. And alhamdulillah, she was successful. And the husband agreed. And he built that motel. So now when the passengers came, if they needed to wait, they were able to sit there, rest there. If they needed to sleep, they were able to nap there, sleep overnight there. Then it occurred to her that since these travelers are there and they're traveling and they're musafir and our deen teaches us to take care, do khidmat of musafir, so then she wanted that I should arrange for their refreshment, food and snacks. But for that what she did initially is she didn't ask her husband. And that initially she first started providing the refreshments from her own you can say like pocket money allowance that her husband would give her. So when she started doing that, so then the travelers were even more grateful and travelers were more happy and they gave her many more du'as. Then with the passage of time as it came more, then it became known that this pious woman, if the passengers had any difficulty, like financial difficulty, financial stress, so she would also help them with a charitable gift. So then sometimes they would know because like I said, her home was near there, they would come to her for charity. So she had more desire, more desire. Then she got her husband, what to agree, that not just snacks and refreshments, let us serve three times meals all the time for all the travelers. And he agreed when she explained to him how many du'as we're getting, look how happy these people are, look how Allah will be happy when we take care of creation. So this is how the pious women, they help their husbands do righteous deeds. So many times the man, obviously he must have been a good man, but it wouldn't have occurred to him himself. He wouldn't have taken the initiative himself. So one way we use our speech positively is to guide and entice people to take the initiative themselves. Here the husband agreed to his wife's. Now travelers were getting a place and then there was a place for snacks and food was served and there was even a staff there so one security guard for protection staff there cleaning and serving the food so then people started coming more and more people started coming more and more now what happens is sometimes you will find that there are some people who try to spoil a good deed they try to spoil a good deed so what happened was some of that man's friends they came to him and said, look, your wife has made you do this. And, but 
you know what's happening now. The people who plan to take the morning bus anyway, they come at night because they're likely to get free food and free night stay. People are just hanging out uselessly. They're taking advantage of your hospitality. So they try to poison him like that. They're taking advantage of your hospitality. So you should be more careful about where you spend your money. Otherwise your wife will spend all your money. She will throw it down the drain. So now when he heard this and one, two, three friends started telling him this. So he was affected. So again, this is the use, ill use of speech, bad use of speech, saying the wrong thing in the wrong tone with the wrong intention to bring about the wrong results. So he was now victim of the other side. He had been recipient of the good speech. Now he's being affected by the bad speech. So he came home and he was upset. And he told his wife that this is what's happening and this is what people are talking and things have proceeded out of control and you haven't put any safeguards and you're not watching the situation. So he said, now I won't give any food anymore. There will only be water and there will only be tea. So that there's no food and people don't unnecessarily take advantage. Now when the woman, she heard this, she felt sad because she had been very happy that people were able to eat. But she handled the situation wisely. She knew that words, when spoken at the right time, have a worth, they are worth their weight in gold. So she waited. She had sabr. She waited quietly for some opportunity like that to come up. So one day the husband himself asked her, Oh my wife, you seem to be quiet these days. You seem to have gone quiet for the past few days. What's the matter? So the wife, she replied that, you know, I haven't even left the house for a few days. So what I want is, I wish that let us go see our country land, our land and fields that we have in the country where there's greenery, lush gardens, nice scenery. It will lift my spirits. So the husband, mashallah, because he did love his wife, he said, okay, if that's why you're quiet and you want to break from the home, okay, we'll arrange. So they arranged the trip and the husband took his wife out for a walk on their lawns or fields or pastures and they were enjoying the greenery and the fruits and the flowers. And again, those who have been, they can imagine the scenery that you can see in this rural area of Punjab when it's lush spring and every fruit is blooming, every flower is blooming, the weather is just nice. So then she went and she, there was a well there, well of water, right? And so she approached that well of water and then she sat down by its side and she started peeking over and inside the well. And she kept sitting like that for some time. So then the husband said, okay, now it's been some time, it's getting very late, we should get going back. She said, okay, yes, I'm coming. But she kept sitting by the well, she kept looking inside. He asked her a second time, she kept look, peering inside. He asked her a third time. So then he approached himself and came near the well and said, what are you looking at so clearly? So the wife, she replied that I'm looking at this well and I'm wondering, that every day so many people come and they fill so many buckets of water from this well and they take so much water out of the well. But how is it that still every day the level of water in the well remains the same and it never goes down? So the husband, he replied to her sweetly. He said, oh, my beloved wife, the reason the water level never goes down is because the well keeps filling up from the water flowing underground. So even if you keep filling buckets all day long, my wife, even if people were to come all day and keep filling buckets of water, drawing buckets of water, taking out that water, the water would keep flowing from the underground source and the water source won't lessen. So then she said that, oh my husband, Allah Ta'ala had also let 
a well of good deeds, Amal, come from our home, and people were coming, and they were filling their buckets from our well, and they were filling their buckets even more, and they were filling buckets even more, but Allah Ta'ala sends the risk, He was making the flow come, and the water come, what made you think that we will run out of water, and Allah Ta'ala will not give us more risk? So when she said these words, it struck the heart of her husband. And when he went back, he again said that you must distribute food as much as people want and as many people can come. Allahu Akbar. And look at this woman. SubhanAllah. Look at her hikmah, her wisdom, her choice of words, her choice of moment, her choice of expression. Hmm? So sometimes it takes that that you have to be so deeply desirous of khair to come, and then you help that husband, you facilitate him, you gently draw out the best in him. Because that's what husband and wife are supposed to do, to bring out the best in each other. So what does it mean then? We are mentioning this because sometimes this is an occasion when a woman loses her tongue, when when she asks her husband nicely for something and he refuses it. So in this case, no, you should remain quiet. Don't talk back, don't react, don't get upset, don't give a long speech about your rights. Just remain quiet and bear with it and wait for another moment when you can present that request at a better time. Now no doubt, there may be some women who unfortunately you are suffering from the unjust, abusive, tyrant type husband. That's a separate situation. Here I'm just talking about the normal, normal range of husband and wife. In that case, it's better not to react instantly, not to talk back instantly, but wait and try and make dua to Allah Ta'ala. So all we're saying is that we should control our tongue from the instant response. It's like they call it rapid reaction force, right? So our tongue should not be like that. Otherwise what happens is things heat up then a huge argument will take place, then things will go out of control, and it will no longer be about that particular thing you asked and you didn't get it. All, so many other types of things will come up, and then it could even be, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, then the heat of the argument, heat of the moment, the husband might even divorce the wife. It's wrong if he were to do that, but we should also make sure that we don't create such reactionary situations that bring this out. Alright. Then, Similarly, when one talks to one's children, so one should try always, always means almost always, to speak softly and gently and kindly and lovingly to the children. Speaking in a stern and harsh tone should be used as an occasional thing. I'm not saying you can never do it. But it has to be done sometimes, scold, reprimand the child. But it has to be very occasional. We have observed some mothers who are constantly constantly scolding, constantly yelling, constantly nagging their children. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's why it frustrates you because it doesn't work. And you say they don't listen. And then you start yelling more. And then you call husband up at work that I've been yelling at them all day and they're still not listening. Huh? So no, you have to... The norm is that one should speak softly. One should speak softly. Then the third use of the tongue that you should be careful about is how you speak to the in-laws how you speak to your friends, how you speak to your own parents, how you speak to your families about your husband. About your husband. You see, in the first instant, you shouldn't tell on your husband. In the first instance, you shouldn't say something about your husband. Again, no doubt, the husband may have done something that is worthy of being reprimanded. There may be problems. But I'm just saying in the first instance, you shouldn't react quickly, that immediately you say it. 
Because if you immediately say it to a third person and you prematurely say things to a third person, then the husband will take great offense at this. And you also don't want, and the husbands also make the mistake. As the very first time you made a slight mistake, they call your mother and they complain about you. Or they tell their own mother that yes, you are right, she does make this mistake. So the husbands also should not, I'm addressing you today, but since some men are sitting with me also, so the husband should also not complain about the wife quickly to a third party. So what does it mean? One of the uses of the tongues we have to curb and control is this complaining. The complaints. We complain too much. This is another thing that we shouldn't use in, use our tongue for. And the husband and wife both, they have to make their own home. Up, They make their own home. This is called nesting. Nesting means you must make your home into a nest so that initial period of marriage and that initial period of if a woman has to live with in-laws, so that initial period is nesting. So initially, yes, there may be some difficulty. You have to initially bear it out with patiently. Allah Ta'ala will give you the strength to readjust in this situation. You have to give it time. Again, there may be some extreme wrong things that aren't getting better with time. That's a separate matter. But in the norm, there is some adjustment process. Now, if in that adjustment process you don't give it time, then you will react. Then you will lash out. Then you will say words that you will regret later. You may say words that you might regret later. So whether it's being gentle with children, whether being wise with husband, whether being careful with in-laws, whether being loving with parents, it just means a person should be careful and use their tongue carefully. Use their tongue carefully. And especially one should avoid what is called bitter anger. Bitter anger. And sometimes some women, and may Allah Ta'ala protect all of you from that, some women, even though they love their children, but sometimes for some women, mothering can get very difficult. Especially, for example, if the child is a small baby and is crying all night and we're crying every night and the mother's sleep was disturbed. So 99% of women will manage this. But there's 1%, only 1% of women that sometimes they get so annoyed, they curse their child. They just say it. They don't really mean it from their heart, but they say a sentence like that, Oh, I wish you, know, I wish you weren't born. I wish you, we didn't have this fourth child or fifth child. Hmm? So you should never let the words come out. Allah Ta'ala says they must swallow, suppress their anger. Never let it come out. It might be that yes, in that moment you're so exasperated, you're so frustrated, you're barely managing the four children, you had the fifth unplanned child, the fifth child chose to be about the most difficult baby, he's keeping up every night, your husband is away working in another country, you have to manage everything on your own, you may reach a point of complete frustration, exasperation, but that should never turn to bitter anger, that is the time you turn to dua, that is the time when you're pushed to the brink, you say I can't take it anymore, I can't cope anymore, I feel like I'm losing it. Yes, you, I accept it. That will have an emotional state may come on you like that. But when you feel like you're losing it, don't lose your tongue. When you feel like losing it, spill out to Allah Ta'ala. Lose it, but lose it on the musalla. Lose it, but lose it in dua. Lose it by turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never use your tongue in that situation. Their story once, our husband, it's a very long story, but her husband, he told us once of a woman who said something like that. And in Urdu, what she said, it's, it's in English, it would be that it would be best if you would always sleep. It means, na'udhu billah, like wish you just would die. Right? Achata kitu sohi jata. It would be better if you just went to sleep and stayed asleep. 
So because she said this sentence, a very long story, but you can imagine at the end that Allah Ta'ala took her baby away from her. So that Allah Ta'ala would show her what it means to be ungrateful of the bounties and blessings of Allah Ta'ala. So sometimes it can happen in this life. Allah Ta'ala can seize us with His punishment and His might for misspoken words, for inappropriate words, for wrong words that we said. So we should be, this is another way we should be careful with our tongue. Then another way is the way we use our tongue with our household staff. Our, for men it would be employees at work. For women it means household staff. And maybe you have a maid. Maybe you have a nanny for your child. Maybe there's a gardener. Maybe there may be any type of staff. You must be very careful in the use of your tongue with them. And also the men, you must be very careful how you address the khudam in the masjid, the employees at your shop, any type of worker, labor, the driver who has come to unload the goods that you ordered. We must be very, very careful how we use our tongue in these situations. Because if we allow any ujub, kibr, takabur, any arrogance, pride, conceit, any sense of we're belittling the person, treating the person, that I'm business owner, you are driver, I am queen of the house, you are maid servant. In any sense we try to establish through harsh, stern, unjust speech our superiority over them, this is an abuse of the relationship Allah Ta'ala put us in. So one must be take care to speak softly, kindly, gently to all their underlings any type of underling, any type of staff, any type of employee. And remember, especially for the women, in the case of the women, that your children will observe, consciously and subconsciously, your children will observe the tone of your tongue and the words in your speech, how you talk to the household staff. They will learn from that. They will learn from you. They will learn through observation. And if you are sweet, whenever some friend of yours calls you on the phone, but when you put the phone down, you're constantly yelling at the household staff, even na'udhu billah, cursing, using, that's haram, using curse words, profanity, haram. You even do that, your children will see that. They will pick up on that. They will think this is acceptable. They will think this is normal. They may go tomorrow to school, and there may be a child from a lower income background at school. They may talk to that child like that. So then they will hurt that child through bullying. And they will have learned that bullying from you because you bully the maids in your house. Hmm? And no, it shouldn't be like that. So you should make yourself such that every maid servant, every staff member says that, oh, my mistress is the best one on earth. She is my best. She tells all her friends that, oh, no, no, I would never leave this home. She treats me like family. She treat, I feel like I'm her daughter. I feel like I'm her daughter, I feel like I'm her sister, or sometimes they're elderly. Sometimes even this is, sometimes you have elderly uh, women uh, staff, right? So she should say, oh, she gives me the rank of her mother. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? Then see if these women, if, if, if any of the women staff in your homes are from non-Muslim backgrounds, then see how they accept Islam. Hmm? They will see the honor and deen, they will see a different honor in you, a different characteristic in you. Hmm? So it's very important that we so look and you're saying we gave so many examples how much we use our tongue. You're getting an idea from this? How much indeed we use our tongue. How many interactions we have. How many relationships we have. And all those relationships involve speech, involve talking. Next point is that if somebody negatively uses their tongue with you, if somebody else 
fails to do all of the above and negatively uses their tongue with you, so what should you do? Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Itfa ahsan, that you must respond. And even you can say, Itfa, repel that. Repel that evil with that which is ahsan, which is more pure, virtue, noble, excellent, better than that. فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ adawa. That indeed what will happen, that that person whom even Allah Ta'ala is acknowledging and testifying in Qur'an, that between you and them there is ill will, between you and them there is adawa, there is enmity, hostility. Even Allah Ta'ala is accepting that fact that there is hostility, enmity between you. But if you respond to their an enemy, their enmity, their harsh words with what is asan, then what will happen? Ka'annahu waliyun hamim. It will, they will become as if they are a devoted friend. Your wali, they will become like your wali. Allahu akbar. So Allah Taala is showing us this power of ihsan, of husn, of ihsan. So Allah Taala will change. He can remove the enmity. And that's actually Allah Ta'ala teaches us so beautifully because why does the person respond? Sometimes maybe you were patient, maybe you listened, but then you said, no, now it's clear. My sister-in-law is an enemy to me. Now it's so clear. She said so much about me. She's always undermining me. So now I'm giving up now. She has, she has made it clear to the world that she is an enemy to me. Oh, Allah Ta'ala is saying it's clear to me, Allah. Baynaka wa baynu adawa is clear to me, Allah, that she's an enemy to you. And I, Allah, tell you in Quran, O woman, itfa billatihiya asan. This is how Allah is talking to us. So don't think like that. Don't make the decision. So now it's clear she's an enemy to me, so I'm going to be an enemy to her. It's natural a person thinks like that. Okay, now I, I, I've drawn the battle lines. Hmm? And now battle. Hmm? No, Allah is saying, no. It's very difficult to do amal on this ayah. Very easy to recite ayah. Very easy to translate ayah. Very difficult to become ayah. Hmm? It can, you can learn Quran recitation easily. You can learn meanings easily. Relatively compared to how long a process it is to learn the true feelings and have the life according to Quran. So it means that if somebody speaks in a foul manner, you should not reply. In fact, not only is Allah Ta'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us to not reply, He's saying, idfa. He actually proactively, dynamically do reply, but with what is husn and asn, and which is more noble, more pure. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Our Mashaykh used to say that there's six things that Allah Ta'ala despises in a person. Six things that Allah Ta'ala despises in a person. And if we wanted to make it stronger, we could say that there's six people who Allah Ta'ala despises because they have these things in them. The first one is the person who doesn't lower their gaze, doesn't control their gaze, lets their gaze loose to wander about anywhere and everywhere. Our Hazrati sometimes explain this in Urdu, Shikari Kutti Kitara. Shikari Kutti Kitara. That means the hunting dog is let loose to go and roam freely and hunt and chase any and every prey they want. Some people let their gaze loose to wander about and gaze at any and everything they want. And a lot of women also have this problem. This is a myth that only men have this problem. So she may even be wearing niqab, and she may even be going to mall, but she lets her gaze wander and look at the non-mehramant around her. No, then you will get Allah Ta'ala will be unhappy. Allah Ta'ala will be unhappy. Second is the lying tongue. The tongue that when a person speaks, he lies. 
Nabi Kareem وسلم said a hadith that when a person tells a lie, his mouth gives out such a foul stench that even the Karam and Katibin, the two angels appointed to write our deeds, they distance themselves from that person due to the foulness of his lying. Third is the heart that plots and schemes, plotting and planning, maybe plotting and planning how to commit sin, how to have that unlawful affair, how to meet that person secretly, or maybe plotting and planning against someone, to undermine someone out of reverie for them, envy for them, jealousy for them, that heart that is always mulling over plots, that heart that is always scheming, that heart that is wishing that it could make a plot that would bring about the downfall of another. Allah Ta'ala despises such a heart and such a person. Then those feet that walk toward acts of sin. Allah despises those feet that take a person willingly, voluntarily to the place of sin. Now Allah Ta'ala despises that hands that are used to hurt people. Allah Ta'ala despises that husband who raises his hand to abuse his wife. Allah Ta'ala despises those people who use hands to commit any sin. Allah Ta'ala despises the hand and despises that person. And sixth, the Mashaikh mentioned that Allah Ta'ala despises the person who severs ties between two people, who tries to come between two people. And it's amazing. Now this, is re- this has also become so widespread. There is no relationship that people are willing to leave intact. Sometimes the wife will say something to her husband to break, to sever his tie between him and his mother. Sometimes the husband says something to the wife to keep her from her relationship with her mother. Sometimes between two brothers, sometimes between two sisters, sometimes between in-laws, sometimes between teacher-student, somebody will come and try to sever the ties between those two people. All the time people are trying to break ties. Hmm? You should always be careful of these naysayers, not will-wishers, ill-wishers. They will try to come and sever the tie between two people whom Allah Ta'ala put in a relationship. It might be husband-wife relationship, parent-child relationship, in-law relationship, imam-muktadi relationship, two fellow committee member relationship, sheikh-murid relationship, ustaz-shagir relationship, muhtamim-mudaris relationship, or so many relationships of twos. And this is the work of shaitan and shayateen and the insan who are under the influence of those shayateen to try to sever the tie between two people, between the pair. This is a particular way. To cut, you see, like you have in, in, in molecular biology, the two atoms combine to make a molecule. So that's only a two-atom molecule. So if you cut the bond between the two atoms, you destroy the molecule. Because it's a two-atom molecule. So this is a particular type of fitna to break the two-person relationship. Allah Akbar Kabira. And people like that. So we heard our Shaykh say once, Allah I can't remember if it's a hadith or just one of the wisdoms of our Mashaykh, that on the night of Laylatul Qadr, Allah Ta'ala forgives people for their sins, but there's some people whose sins aren't forgiven, and amongst those are those who severed the ties between two Muslims, between Pir and Murid, between Ustaz and Shagir, between Muhtam and Mudarras, between Imam and Muqtadi, between husband and wife, between parent and child, between partner and partner in business. Hmm? Between friend and friend, they cut the tie between two people. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Then another problem is that sometimes we gift wrap our lies. We gift wrap our lies. This happens especially when we want to commit a sin. And especially this happens when a person wants to have a sinful relationship. So the sign of this is first attempt will be to conceal it, to hide it. 
If you can't hide it, then you will try to wrap it with something to conceal it. That's called wrapping the lie. Rather, we wouldn't say gift wrap, to paper wrap the lie. So it's all part of concealing. Either we want to keep it out of sight, or if we're worried somehow it will come inside, we will conceal it with some other thing, with some other false, fake, fraudulent, deceptive wrapping. So we should be very careful. And also I would tell the young women and young unmarried women to be very careful of, not all men are like this, but there's a particular type of man who tries to prey on innocent women. There's a particular type of man who is a predator and he views you as his prey. He views you as his, mm, you understand. And he will do exactly this. He will wrap himself in untruths. He will claim that he loves you. He will claim that he wants to marry you. He will claim that he will support you. He will claim that he's missing you. Even when sitting with another woman, he will send you a message, I'm missing you, just to make you think like that. He's wrapping himself and his false relationship with you in lies. Don't be deluded by these lies. Don't. In other words, this is another fitna, that people try to wrap their falsehood in lie so that it appears to be truth. So the person has false love for you, fake love for you, he's disloyal to you, but he will try to wrap it in so many sweet lies that it appears to you as if he has some type of true love and loyalty to you. You must be very, very careful against this. Very careful against this. Or he might be married, you may say, no, no, actually I will marry you. I just want to get to know you. I just want to meet you. Oh... This is wrapping. <laughs> huh? This sentence, oh, I will marry you. This is wrapping. Hmm? This is all wrapping. I need you. I'm lonely. Oh, my wife is not nice to me. I just want you to be nice to me. All of this is wrapping. Oh, he's laying it on thick. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it at all. Remember your izza. Remember your honor. Never do anything against the will and wish of Allah Ta'ala. He says, I want to marry you. Say, here's the number of my father. Uh-huh. You message my father that sentence. Don't message me that sentence. Huh? Allah Akbar. Then see. Huh? Then all the wrapping will come off. Huh? Believe me, 99.99999% of the time he won't message your father. Hmm? Wrapping will come off in an instant. So you must be strong. You must be steadfast. Fine, yes, if you feel lonely, turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have emotionally turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Have more love for Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is a theme I already explained to you when we discussed tafsir of Surah Al-Duha. Feel more connected to the true love and the true love stories. And that's so full of truth. Kalamullah, the most truthful speech. Kalam Rasulullah sallam, the most truthful speech of creation. So connect more to these kalam, then you will feel more connected to truth, you will be better able to see falsehood. And if you don't recite Quran, you don't understand Quran, you don't know hadith of Nabi Kareem sallallahu who is as-sadiq al-ameen, so you don't know sidq, you haven't been exposed to pure truth, so you will lose your ability to tell the difference between the truth and falsehood of creation until you expose yourself to the truth that lies only in your creator, Quran, or from your creator, the sunnah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa So this is very important. It's something we should beg Allah Ta'ala in this month. Something that we should beg Allah Ta'ala in this month. And we want more truth so we get more furqan. More truth so we can recognize falsehood even more. So we'll just end with one last story. Actually it's a bit of a long hadith. 
So I will just, uh, let's say, summarize it for you. Mm. Give you a summary. So there was this battle, Ghazwa Tabuk. So the Zahid is very relevant about this. The truth will always prevail. Should never wrap anything you do. So it's a very, it's a beautiful hadith though, but we're already over time. So there were few Sahabi Karam that left behind. It's a long story, right? When Nabi Karim Sallallahu and the other Sahabi Karam went forth for jihad fi sabilillah. So you can say like one of them stayed back because out of, it's very hard to express these things also with the proper adab, but let's say they stayed back in the good opinion that they would be able to catch up to the Sahaba later because they had a very fast mount and a very fast deed. So they delayed basically. They procrastinated. This may be okay to use a slightly stronger word. They procrastinated. And then that one day became a few days. And then before they knew it, Alhamdulillah, Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came back quickly, victorious, returning from the battle. So then they were stunned all of a sudden. That no, no, then this now means we were completely left back. It means almost like we're deserters. Actually, our intention was just that, okay, we'll take time and I'll join and I'll join later and I have some things to wrap up. But next thing you know, Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came back. So they were confronted with this issue. Now there were few, few, three genuine sahaba and the rest who stayed back, they were the munafiqin of Medina Manawar, right? Because they don't really have iman, so they have no desire to go on jihad. They can't, don't, their life is precious to them. So they didn't go. So when now Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came back, this is also an incredible tale of the zarf of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the sifat sattari of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that these hypocrites of Medina Manawar were blending in and were neither exposed by Allah Ta'ala nor exposed by Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and even though you could see right through them, he would put up with their charades. So they came up to him. In Masjid Nabi he was sitting because this was the Adat, Adat al-Sharifa, Adat al-Mubarakah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When he would come back from jihad, he would come straight to Masjid Nabi and he would sit there in the Masjid first. So they started coming to him, the Munafikun first. And so they offered all types of excuses. Maybe you can say because they're Munafikun, so Munafik can commit any lie. So we can, I think, fairly say they must have offered some lies if you want to be careful, offered some excuses. And the Prophet he said, fine. He said, fine to all of them. Fine, fine, fine. Right? But the, the Sahaba, they're people of truth. They're Siddiqeen. Each and every Sahaba was Siddiq. Sayyidina Abu Bakr, his luck was Siddiq, but every Sahabi is Siddiq. So they couldn't give these excuses or lies or prevarications. So they knew. How could I ever say that to my beloved Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? So they told the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the truth. They told Nabi Karim Sallallahu the truth. And what was the truth? That actually nothing kept us away. Nothing kept us away from joining you in jihad except our own procrastination. Means we accept. We accept this blame. We accept that we were wrong. We're not going to make any story, tell any tale, come up with any excuse. Hmm? Not going to do that at all. Allahu Akbar. Now what happened to Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He was disappointed in them. He was disappointed in them. And so then what he did, he stopped speaking to them and he told all the sahab not to speak to them, even their families not to speak to them until they were told that now this uh, ruling has been lifted. So these sahaba say that, Oh, Allah Akbar, 
Forty days we lasted like this until and made toba and crying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a beautiful long hadith. And then eventually then Allah ta'ala sent down wahi to Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam revealing to the Prophet that they had been pardoned. But the purpose of this story here is that it was their truth that became a source of Allah Ta'ala pardoning them. Whereas the munafikun, some ulama mentioned here in the tafsir of that ayah, that if the munafikun had gone, if any one of the munafik had gone to the Prophet and said the truth, that I stayed back, not that not having, not, not, not truth that I'm munafik, that I stayed back because I was lazy, just that act of saying truth to the Prophet would have been so beloved to Allah, Allah would have given that munafik tawfiq of iman. But they didn't. They stuck to their lying ways. So because each one came and lied, so then some ulama said that this was the time when Allah Ta'ala sealed their heart. That you lied to my mahboob sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Then Allah Ta'ala sealed the hearts of the munafikun such that they never had tawfiq to accept iman. And on the other side you see, these sahabi kram, what? They knew that I will speak the truth even if I will get in trouble. This is ajeeb. I must speak the truth even though it might even get me into trouble. So this is the ultimate then, ultimate truth. Because they know that lying is a poison. It will poison me. And just like poison, as long as it stays in your body, once it enters your body, it will stay in your body. As long as it stays in your body, you can never have that physical health. So they view lying to be a poison. They don't want that poison to enter their ruh. They don't want it to stay in their ruh. Because they know that how will they progress in deen? How will their du'as be accepted? How will their fasting be accepted? How will their salah be expected? accepted? Khair may Allah Ta'ala accept us to always use our tongue in the rightful manner, in the noble manner, in the beautiful manner. We may protect our tongue from every improper use, from every careless use, from every callous use. May Allah Ta'ala help us guard that which is between our jaws. And may Allah Ta'ala help us guard every other aspect of us that He wishes to be guarded. Before we make dua, we'll make short silent zikr muraqaba. Close your eyes, bow your head, disconnect yourself from the world and everything that it contains. Make niyat that, Ya Rab, I'm making toba to you. Now I'm silencing my heart and my heart is searching for you. I'm silencing the speech of my tongue and my heart is searching for you. I'm silencing the words of my tongue and now my heart is speaking to you. And my heart is speaking but one thing, your blessed name, that my spiritual heart, my qalb, is calling Allah, Allah, Allah.
Ramadan. It is a day we're in the state of fasting. We make near from now on that we want to fast our tongue from all unlawful speech. We want to fast our tongue from all lewd speech. We want to fast our tongue from all crude speech. Forgive us, Ya Rabb. Our tongue has become blackened with its sins. Our tongue has become hardened by sin. It can no longer taste the sweetness of Tilawa. It can no longer flow in Dua. Ya Rabbi have mercy on us. Forgive us for all the sins that we ever did with our tongue. Forgive us for all the lies we spoke. Forgive us for all the exaggerations. Forgive us for all the ghibat. Forgive us for all the backbiting. Forgive us for all the slander. Forgive us, Ya Rabb, if ever we used our tongue to come between two people. If we used our tongue as scissors, Ya Rabb. Ya Rabb, you have been so Rahim and Rahman. You are Hanan and Halim that you haven't punished it up till now. Now we make Tawbah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And Ya Rabbi, ask your forgiveness for every time we used our tongue to sweet-talk Ghair Mehram. Every time we used our tongue to entice Ghair Mehram. Every time we used our tongue to allure Ghair Mehram. Anytime we used our tongue to convince Ghair Mehram. Ya Allah, have mercy on us. We should have been sweet-talking to you. We should have been trying to allure and attract your mercy to us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make Tawbah, Ya Rabbi. Protect us from this inner shirk. Protect us from this secret shirk, protect us from these unlawful feelings, and Ya Rabbi, we ask that you forgive us. Anytime we used our tongue out of the feeling of envy, maybe we used that tongue to undermine someone, to, to malign someone, to hurt and spoil the reputation of someone, to put doubts in the heart of their lovers about that someone. Ya Rabbi, we have mercy, Ya Rabbi. We seek refuge from you from this. We want to be true, Ya Rabbi. Grant us a tongue, the tongue of the Siddiqeen. Grant us the tongue of the Salihin. Grant us the tongue of the Dhaqirin, grant us a tongue that worships you, a tongue that remembers you, a tongue that offers dawah, a tongue that gives nasiha, a tongue that recites ilm, make our tongue pure again, make our tongue whole again. Ya Rabbi Kareem, protect us, Ya Allah. Some of us, we have become such an ingrained habit in us, we're no longer even aware of it, we're no longer conscious of it. Fix us, Ya Allah. Make us deeply aware, deeply sensitive to even the slightest indiscretion of our tongue. Make us feel it make us guilty over it, make us feel shameful over it, and accept our Tawbah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Accept our Tawbah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, your Mashaikh, they taught that the tongue is but a spoon for what is in the dish of the heart. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are scared, Ya Rabbi, that we've committed so many sins with our tongue, then how much must be the evil in our heart? Remove that evil, Ya Rabbi. Purify that evil, Ya Rabbi. Put your nur in our heart. Put your rahma in our heart. Send your makfra on our heart. Put your hidayah in our heart. Make our heart pure again. Make our heart true again. Grant us a heart that is true, so we can have a tongue that is true. Grant us a heart that is kind, so we may have a tongue that is kind. Grant us a heart that is whole, so our tongue may be wholesome. Yet it be cream. And we ask that especially the women who are here, listening in the hall, or the women who are listening anywhere, yet it be cream. We ask that you protect their hearts from the hurtful, hurtful tongues of others. Protect their hearts from the harmful tongues of others. Yet they put soft in love in the hearts and tongues of all those around him. Let their husband be more 
sweet of tongue to them, let their in-laws be more sweet of tongue with them, let their children be more respectful of tongue to them. Ya Rabbi Kareem, protect them, Ya Rab, guide them, Ya Rab. And if anyone is in any dangerous, harmful, hurtful situation, Ya Rab, comfort her heart, grant her sukoon, be a solace to her, be a guide to her, be a friend to her. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, keep her on the path, keep her steadfast, keep her on hidayah, let not shaitan take advantage of this sadness. Ya Rabbi Kareem, before shaitan does any waswasa on that sadness, Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your mercy, Ya Rab, send your karam, Ya Rab, send your fazl, Ya Rab, Ya Rabbi Kareem, have mercy on us, Ya Rab. And those of us men who are listening, Ya Rabbi Kareem, make tawbah, Ya Rab, for all the times we misused our tongue, we misexpressed our tongue, we betrayed you, Ya Rab, we're making tawbah, Ya Rab, and we ask you, Ya Rabbi Kareem, that you make it up for us, Ya Rab, make it up to those who we have hurt, make it up to those whom we have lied, make it up to those whom we betrayed, make it up to those whom we allured, out of your karam and fuzzle and limitless infinite treasures, you have to give them the gift of iman, give them the gift of wilaya, give them the gift of taqwa, you have to if ever any one of us, through this clever use of our tongue, we stole the haya of another, you have to ask that you restore that haya to them, give that haya back to them, nurse that haya back to them, protect them, ya Rabb, when we failed them, guide them, ya Rabb, when we betrayed them, be true to them, ya Rabb, when we are false to them, you are our Rabb, ya Rabbi Kareem, we have seen even the worldly parents, ya Rabb, they try to cover for the mistakes of their children, ya Rabb, we are your ibad, and you are our Rabb, ya Rabb, cover up our mistakes, conceal our mistakes, compensate for our mistakes, let no member of mukhluk creation ever be harmed due to our mistakes. Rabbana takabal minna innaka anta samiul alim, wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim, wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad, Wala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, mirahmatika ya arhamar rahimin. Amen.